Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. And I'm Clint Jones. And today we're talking about Deathloop. Developed by Arcane Studios and published by Bethesda Softworks, it was released on September 14th of 2021 for Windows and is a timed console exclusive for the PS5. And we will be hitting some spoilers, so heads up if you're sensitive to that. So... We're back here. We're playing an arcane game. First one we're covering for the pod. I cannot believe we have not covered an arcane game yet because I love this shit. Yeah, I think I've played just about every game they've ever put out. So, yeah, I'm a huge Dishonored fan and Prey uh, more recently. Um, I just I really like this style of game. Even you know, Josh and I covered Deus Ex last year and like the lineage that comes down from all of this stuff. Uh, all of these types of games are just catnip for me. Like I will, I will always play uh, an immersive sin when they come out. But unfortunately, it seems like a bit of a dying art in the video game industry. Yeah, I was just about to mention that. Like I keep reading these articles that are like the immersive sim is dying, and I'm like, but why? It's the best video game <laughs> genre there is. But the, when you think about it, Arcane is probably the biggest proponent in the entire industry. So I hope they keep doing this. Yeah, and they, you know, they have the the lineage down from Looking Glass, the, the original um, sort of um, studio that did these uh, immersive sims. And, you know, even Arcane now is, uh, has been bought by Xbox Game Studios, and now they're sort of subsumed into that monoculture, which makes this a very strange game. It is a console exclusive for PlayStation 5 that is now owned by Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably the last arcane game on a PlayStation for a while, I would imagine. I think eventually, I mean, I think Microsoft got too big for their britches uh, buying uh, buying all those studios up. I know Sony's got a lot of first-party studios, but they tend to work with them first, develop them, and then buy them. Microsoft's just like, I'm going to throw a bunch of money at a problem and buy a whole bunch of stuff that people already enjoy. So I feeling that's I mean, not going to go well. We'll see. I mean, when you have a bunch of money, you got to use it, I guess. And I, I guess. don't know. Like, we'll, we'll see. I mean, here's the thing. is like this grand Xbox experiment. It, it, to me, it's really a question of like how that plays into like what they're doing with PC as well. And I, I don't know. I'm, in, I'm interested. Count me... Uh, in as tentatively optimistic just don't be messing with my doom microsoft (laughs) amen uh i don't think i don't think we have to worry about about doom that's been doing quite well lately yeah Uh, you may you you just might not be playing it on a playstation anytime soon. yeah yeah so you're right that is weird because it is a timed playstation exclusive with a company no longer uh putting out any more games for playstation most likely but Ultimately, I'm glad everybody's going to get a chance to play this because I think we can agree up top this was a very good game. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, I, you know, I, I know there's a lot of people that came into this thinking like this was definitely like goatee contender. I think it's like a tier below that, but I still loved it. Like I, there's a lot of things that I think it does extremely well. There's a lot of things I think that it does at scale as a AAA game that we just really haven't seen too much of before. And yeah you know, we'll get into what all of those things are, but this game has a lot of really novel mechanics, a lot of really novel styles. It's just great. Yeah. I think the game of the year stuff probably comes from everybody's, I don't want to call it over-exaggerated, but almost every major outlet gave this a 10 out of 10. And I think there's a reason for that. Uh, Mm. Okay. So for me, a 10 out of 10 game is Red Dead Redemption 2. It's got story. It's got everything like the whole package. This game is not the whole package, but it is doing something wholly unique and entirely new that's never been done before and the industry is just not like that right now so when we see something new somebody that like pushed the envelope a little bit they're gonna give them extra points for that and i think they deserve it it's not a perfect game but it's awesome 
Yeah, I agree. And I think the way the ways that I think it's interesting is how it adds and changes the immersive sim formula. You know, we talked to, uh, up top about like this game has a really strong lineage from Arcane's other properties like Dishonored and Prey, you know, down to like even the UI elements with the, you know, slanted health bar and, and mana bar <laughs> or whatever. Like as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh yeah, I'm playing an Arcane game. I'm, I'm back in my happy place. Yeah, this was distinctly Arcane. The second you load it up, you're right. You, you can just tell. Um, their art style was on display, but the coolest thing is the first time I've seen it with ray tracing. And I can tell you that the lighting uh, that the new consoles allow for just set it off. It looks so good. Yeah, this game is a really distinct style. It's got this really interesting, unique sort of 60s mod sort of art aesthetic. Um, you know, a lot of really like bold colors and, and vibrant like straight lines. Um, it's it's pretty cool. And uh, to your point, Clint, like the lighting and the next gen technology that they're bringing to bear on it is, is also excellent. Uh, I heard it had some problems releasing on PC uh, simultaneously, but PS5 version that you and I both played, I, I didn't really see too many issues. No, it was gorgeous and it played flawlessly. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, absolutely. And I, I guess I'm glad I got the experience that I did. Um, hopefully, they patched that PC stuff because that's the thing is, I as soon as I was playing this, I was like, man, I played all these other arcane games on PC. I kind of wish I was playing with a mouse <laughs> and keyboard right now, but I, I got over it pretty quick. I think it played really well on console. Being a original PC guy, and I still play PC games, especially if I'm playing like competitive shooters. But like games like that, that I'm just like hanging. I like to hang on the couch and play that kind of game, so it fit pretty well. Yeah, delving a little more into sort of that um, production and what this game, you know, was bringing to bear, both not only from a graphics standpoint, but also just from production values. There's some really fantastic, like, writing and voice acting going on in this game. Uh, the voice actor for Colt, Jason Kelly, and the voice actor for Juliana Azioma Akaga. Um, it primary in my mind in terms of what an excellent job they did and played off each other extremely well. Yeah, you could like tell that they worked well together. This wasn't just two people reading lines in a booth by themselves. Like there was chemistry and you could tell, which is good considering the role and, and the way it played out. It, it made it very more personal, I would say. Okay, class, what have you learned today? Oh, you wanted me to answer? I want to know if you figured out who you really are. Oh, that's easy. I'm a drinker, occasionally a drunk man about island. Everyone knows me, everyone hates me, handy with a gun, quick with a joke. I dress well, and why the fuck is everyone wearing a mask? You forgot to mention your little uh, hackama thingy. You'll get there. It's a hackama jig. Yeah, we'll get into that story a little bit. We're going to do our best to stay away from like the ending, but I think we're going to pretty much just go into most things up to and including that. But before we get into a little more detail on that, let's like set up the, the high-level stakes for what Deathloop is. So it's set in the 1960s, although it's nebulously thought that it might be somewhere <laughs> in the Dishonored universe. I don't know. We'll leave that aside for now. But basically, it takes place over the course of a single day that is consistently repeating on the island of Black Reef. So you are Colt Vaughn, and you are pursuing two goals. One, figure out the island, Colt's place in it, and also figure out how to end the loop, which keeps uh, the island continuously restarting at the end of every day, which requires killing eight people spread across four distinct areas, which, as you might imagine, initially seems pretty impossible. Yeah. Yeah, so this game immediately... I don't know how much you knew going into it. I knew very little. I watched the original trailer, which explains exactly what you just laid out. You've got one day, kill eight people, repeat till you get it done. Uh, and then, what else is there to it? Like, people keep trying to, like, tie it into different genres. 
Well, there's two things that I, I was initially struck by about like what this game was going to be about. Like it, They played up the spy versus spy angle really, really heavily initially, right? So Juliana is basically your counter... Um, your counterpiece in this game right like so colt is trying to kill all of these people and end the loop juliana is one of the people who is safeguarding that loop and there's actually an entirely different gameplay where you just play as her um yeah which is great <laughs> this is something i didn't even know about going in so obviously for the counterpoint usually you have some enemy ai that's like beefed up but still dumb right it, it's never any <laughs> real threat once you figure out how to deal with it hmm. the coolest part that i had no clue is juliana is a PvP event. Yes. I didn't even know it until I got in the game and, and was actively doing it. Like this is if, if you're online when you're playing this game, Juliana's a real person. Somebody else is playing against you. And this is so cool because, you know, obviously this, you know, this isn't um probably not a Dark Souls original thing, but Dark Souls certainly popularized it, right? Invasions. And I'm so glad to see this in like an immersive sim and shooter. Um uh, of this type and it is really fun to like be going about your business and all of a sudden juliana comes over the loudspeaker announces her presence uh hey colt i'm coming to fuck you up and you know <laughs> and you gotta you gotta change your plans right you because you're locked in that area with her until you defeat her and open up the passages again So the coolest thing for me about the Juliana, again, is you've got all your plans. You spend this entire game learning things and trying to figure out how to do this very intricate plan to get these eight targets killed. And everything is like down to the wire. You got all your timing worked out. And then she throws a wrench in it. You don't know when she's going to do it, but about once per day she'll show up. And it totally changes everything. And you've got to like think on your toes and be like, okay, how do I still make this happen but deal with this like live person that's in my game right now? Yeah, and it's especially intimidating early on, uh, just as it is in, in most games where these invasion mechanics occur, because initially, you're a bit outclassed and outgunned by Juliana, right? She has uh, some powers that she can come in with, initial, more than your initial cult does, more on this later, but you, you slowly accumulate powers over the course of your loops. And while early on I was outclassed by the Julianas invading me, it really wasn't much of a concern by the end of the game, because I had a lot of equipment and skills that I could I could bring against any invaders. Yeah, the cool thing too is that if you manage to take out an overpowered Juliana, good on you, you get everything that she had, and then you can continue that way. Uh, so you don't have to go through your normal story beats to get some of those items. You now have it because you, you beat a Juliana. Now I will say it's a little scarier at the front too, because you don't realize how much of a disadvantage Juliana is at. I think the thing that pissed me off about Invasions and Dark Souls is, one, you're already severely behind right. the Right, you're, you're here, behind like, the eight ball, right. <laughs> yeah, so you're already pretty much screwed, and then somebody's coming in to grief you. At least in this game, you know what's going to happen, so you can kind of like plan to mitigate it. But on the other hand, it's not an, it's not an uneven playing field for you. You actually have a slight advantage if you're the one being uh, invaded, too. So I think that helped not scale it, but like make sure... It was balanced, I guess. You say it, it it helps balance it. I would say it specifically unbalances it because this is a single-player game primarily, right? Like the main yeah. event here is you being Colt. And you get basically three chances because of a special power that Colt has against one life of Juliana. And, I, you know, I think that's well-observed, right? To, to your point about Dark Souls, um, 
is if you die in that, you know, you're, you're back to the bonfire, everything resets, you have to start all over again. In this game, if you're in the afternoon, you know, two thirds or three quarters, or excuse me, three quarters of the way through your day, and you're trying to like accomplish some shit, it would be very disheartening to be sent back to the very beginning of that day. So, so I think more than anything, the Juliana invasions were almost like its own kind of storytelling thing where you would have something unique happen to you that would never happen to somebody else. Did you have any exceptionally cool things that happened as a result of that? Yeah, I've had a couple interesting Juliana experiences, and I think the the things that surprised me most about her sort of storytelling points of view is I was having a ton of really, I was having a ton of difficulty with one of the um, visionaries, you know, one of the main bosses of the game, one of the eight. Um, it was Fia, and I couldn't beat her, and I needed her power because I really wanted to use it against another person, and I just happened to get it off of Juliana that was using it against me, and that sort of short-circuited my whole trouble with that boss, uh, which was great. Nice. I actually got invaded last second on Fia. First time I got to her, a a Juliana popped around the corner and uh, we had to play cat and mouse for a solid 20 minutes while she kept trying to blow blow up the base on me, but I managed to get it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i think that's fun how you don't actually have to kill her you can also lure her away from uh this radar dish and then hack it and you can leave uh through the tunnels that you came in instead of fighting her which i of course never did because uh, i wanted that sweet loot yeah it was always better to, to beat her if you could but man i got some crazy ones like i even had a juliana ignore me entirely go kill my target and then get oh. herself killed while she was doing it because everybody turned on her and then i just walked away victorious i got everything oh weird <laughs> you had like a uh, a helper that's strange yeah, she, she went to kill harriet and then because i think she knew that i would be over there like because we're you know she knew she knew where i would be if i was doing my mission mm-hmm. and she managed to get herself killed doing it which was kind of fun actually brian i was your first juliana wasn't i you were, and I had already died twice. So you you spawned into my uh, my early day run through Updom and immediately killed me, sending me back to restart the day. Which you know, sorry, I didn't, I didn't have too much going on at that point, so I wasn't too worried about it. But it was still pretty funny. Yeah, when I knew you were starting this game, I was like waiting for you to get done with the starting <laughs> mission because I'm like, I'm gonna jump in here just so because if I didn't know about it, I wanted to be the first one to jump in and get you. So, well, you did. Uh, yeah, yeah, you got me good. Um, my Colt was no match for your Juliana. I was I was using that crappy little nail gun trying to fend you off with a <laughs> shotgun. It just didn't work. Yeah, some of the people playing this were really aggressive and played it like a Call of Duty, but some people, man, I had I had a guy that we played cat and mouse for no lie, probably 30, 40 minutes. Um, and the only reason I, I actually recorded this on my PlayStation because it was so cool to see when I finally finished it, but uh, Juliana can look like other characters. She doesn't always look like her. She can take on the disguise, and this guy was walking around, and I'm like, wait a minute, he looks just slightly off and i walked up behind him and snapped his neck and sure enough it was it was her but it took 30 minutes we were just like coexisting in this map before i finally got him and the funny thing is is you were probably going to snap that enemy's neck anyway but it just happened to be a juliana which makes (laughs) it all the sweeter (laughs) yeah that's great uh well i speaking of the snapping of necks um Colt has a lot of different things that he can sort of bring to bear that are, in my mind, make this game quite a bit different than other uh, immersive sims. Because in from, from my perspective, this is a game that encourages you to go loud a lot more than it encourages you to stealth and explore. Um, you just have a lot more sort of power in, in this game. You can, you know, stealth is an option, but you can charge down an enemy and melee them in the same amount of time and no one will notice. 
Yeah, this is maybe why I, I mean, I like Dishonored a lot, but I had a really hard time playing the second Dishonored because I felt like if I wasn't doing it stealthily, I felt like the game was telling me I was doing it wrong, which made me want to go back and try to like do it better. But it kind of like lost its momentum. This game, the whole thing, you're right. Go loud, go proud, like <laughs> be up in their face. Like that's what it wants you to do. Yeah, you can be stealthy, but it's okay if it gets loud too. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's just like this game's style as opposed to, you know, Dishonored versus Prey, maybe they also had sort of different priorities. And this game definitely has different priorities than um, Dishonored or Prey. The gunplay is a lot better. Uh, Your melee is a lot more powerful. There's no sword fighting like there was in in Dishonored. There's no block. If you get up to an enemy in their face, you will one shot melee kill them pretty much. Um, And all in all, like, I think that worked really well. Like, the odds are stacked against you in this game and to your point the need to stealth uh and do the sort of save scumming thing to maintain a perfect stealth run um was something that i that always like had a lot of friction for me in those those other games and this game totally obliterated that for me i just didn't feel the need at all yeah and speaking of that so we we kind of talked about dying and and whatever um so to contextualize what that means, this is kind of a run-based game. You right. have to go through the whole day. We, we were talking about it earlier, but you have to go through like four distinct time periods. And if you die at any point, you have to go back. But it really wasn't... I get frustrated at run-based games, but this game subverted a lot of that for me. Yeah, it, it pulled the same sort of trick Hades does by continuing to tell a stories throughout the runs. Because while everyone else in the loop is losing their memory every time, you and Juliana seem to retain your memories and continue to advance a story. A reason for that's explained later. But you're right. You're basically doing a run-based thing where you get four different times of day. Um, morning, noon, afternoon, and evening. Uh, and during one of each of those times, you can visit one of four areas. Uh, most of them are usually available at every one of those times. There's a few exceptions. So basically, the place you decide to visit at a certain time of day sort of dictates how your run is going to do. And you have to sort of put all the puzzle pieces together to determine what you need to do when in order to kill all of these eight people. Yeah, and it does, it seems really daunting at the beginning too, because you're starting to realize, like, okay, if I'm in this place in the morning and I do this thing, it could have this kind of effect on another place at a later time. And you have to kind of figure out and map out how the, all that works. And that could honestly look like a crazy, you know, a, a crazy man's corkboard, you know, with all the, the lines or whatever. But the cool thing is that the game does a really good job of doing all that for you. Once you discover something, it almost like tracks it for you and be like, remember, if you do this, this is the effect. Right. Yeah, they, they do do a really good job of sort of journaling out like, the the important things that happen and sometimes it's a little like i think it's a little too handholdy with that like there are some, there are folks who kind of like letting the game sort of allow you to discover those things for themselves but in this in this game it very much will sort of put the quest marker there make sure you know where you're going next and make sure that you are given the knowledge you need to to put everything together basically it's like gamifying cole's intuition or colt's intuition as to what needs to be done next to get the perfect loop you might be right on the hand-holding just a little bit, but I think if they'd have gone the other direction, it could have been just completely inaccessible for a huge group of gamers, too. Like, I wouldn't have minded having a pad and pencil and, you know, jotting down, like, okay, you need to be here in the morning, do this, and then do this, and then do this, and then just kind of work my way through it. But it would have, I mean, that could have gotten really daunting after a while. Yeah, I could see myself making, like, a grid of, like, availability for each person and sort of trying to find what what alignment would work. Um 
and there's exceptions to even that. So yeah, it's it's definitely good that they did what they did. I think you're right that it, from an accessibility perspective, like this wasn't a very hard game, but it definitely succeeded in what it was trying to do. You know, as you said, at first it seems really overwhelming. And if you didn't have that hand-holding, it would stay that way. But after a while, after a few runs, knowledge compresses space, you know, the old Dark Souls mantra, and you start to sort of understand what you need to be doing in each area or what you want to be doing. And then you start to sort of pick and choose your mission on any given run. Like, all right, I need to figure out what's going on here with this visionary. And, you know, that, that starts to drive a slow but sure progression to figuring out what the perfect loop looks like. Yeah, one more thing on progression. And again, I have a huge sticking point with roguelikes. Um, and that's often that, like, I feel like 80% of the game is just starting a run, getting what you need, getting to your power state, figuring out how to use it, and then you get to go <laughs> do the game. And then you die, and then you have to do that 80% to get to the 20% you care about all over again. And I hate that. Uh, this game, I was I didn't know much about it going in, and it sure sounded like uh, roguelike, but... It finds a way to make sure that you get progression with uh, items and, and, and things like that, and powers too. So you're not doing that every time. It puts you right back on the action. It's not all about like, oh, I need to go get my guns again. If you like a certain gun, you can save it. There's a way to save it, and you can start your next run with it if you want to. Yeah, we should talk about that, like the loadout that you choose as you go into any given daily run. So basically, Colt has the option um, to use a substance called Residuum to bring... Uh, items that he finds in one given loop over to the next. So you get that by finding it in the environment, by killing um, a visionaries, the, the boss character is one of the eight. And you can bring over guns, you know, anything from pistols to sniper rifles, shotguns and everything in between. Trinkets, which go in slots on uh, uh, those guns and can imbue them with special powers. Charms for your uh, cult himself, which can give him boosts, more health, better stealth, etc. And then slabs, which are basically the equivalent of the outsider powers from Dishonored. Yeah, and some of them were really cool, but none of them were like, once you have this one, you're God. Like, yeah. there was <laughs> honestly my favorite one that I always had was the movement one. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Being of course. To, yeah. I mean, Blink was necess- or necessary in, in Dishonored and Shift, which is this game's equivalent, is totally necessary in this game. Like, mobility is key. You know, not just moving around a battlefield, but for stealth, for discovery, for exploration. Like, I, if there is one thing I think they should have done is, like, maybe added the ability for one more power. Because, I, you know, Shift was, Shift was a necessary one, and you could only bring two slabs or powers per run. So if I was always choosing Shift, really, I could just choose one other. It made you plan a little, it made the planning a little harder. But again, I like that, that this wasn't, they didn't take up most of the runtime regathering <clears throat> your stuff. You had it. Once you decided mm-hmm. that was what you wanted, you could save it and then you could just go about your business. Yeah. And then it, it starts to become like building a library of things that you can draw on for a given level because you can change your loadout uh, between each of one of those four parts per day, right? So you start your run in the morning, say you go to Updom, the city. Um, you can, you know, take the power that helps you navigate that city. Maybe you choose shift. Maybe you choose nexus because there's a lot of people there. Nexus, the power that allows you to link the fates of uh, two or more enemies together. So you kill one, you kill all. And then at the end of that run, once you've accomplished your goal, you escape back into the tunnels and you're off to wherever you're going to stop in noon. Um, 
and you can reload out your character, new guns, new powers for whatever you're going to face in that area. Maybe you take Aether because you're doing a stealth mission into a, an infiltration in a lab or something like that. I think that ability to sort of respec on the fly through a given run is really fun. And the bigger your library gets, the more the more interesting that becomes over the course of the game. Yeah, you get more verbs. Again, with a good roguelike run, you would find the best weapon you could, whether it was the one you liked or not, and you just would keep make it. the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This allows you to constantly change your strategy and always be thinking and, and uh, experimenting, which I think is really cool. I know... Not to keep harping on roguelikes, but they always like bring up like we're big on experimentation. Try all these new things, but I'm always afraid to try all those new things because I don't want to die because I don't want to do the, the 30 minute <laughs> run up again. You know, like this game was very good at taking the best parts of roguelikes and throwing away the parts that didn't work. Well, to play the roguelike, well. ad, yeah, to, to play the roguelike ad- advocates didn't work for you because I think uh, mm-hmm. if I'm channeling my inner roguelike advocate, it's that the dying is part of the fun in the roguelike. <laughs> but yeah, clearly that doesn't really resonate for you, which is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't yeah. resonate for everyone. <laughs> One other thing that you get in every run uh, at the start, you sort of do have sort of a base cult that you're working with right from the very beginning of this game, even after its three to five hour tutorial, which by the way, I felt was probably a little too long. Um, but you also have your hack jig Yes, that's exactly what it's called in the game, the hack jig which allows you to hack turrets and doors and things like that. Since you're talking about hack jig the tone of this game was so interesting because it's humor in the face of ultra violence. Like it's like hard to mash those two up, but the violence is extreme, but the humor is also very light and airy. And it was kind of, it was a weird mashup, but it worked. Totally. And we should talk about the the tone and then immediately sort of go into the overall setting. Cause I think they, they flow into each other really well, but it's absolutely much goofier than dishonored or prey, right? Like those are dishonored is sort of grim, right? It takes place in a, um, you know, plague ridden, uh, kingdom, a fallen empire, or an empire on the fall, so to speak. Um, Prey is basically uh, capitalism and super science gone bad. And now here we are in um, Dishonored, or sorry, in um, Deathloop, and it's just sort of, I don't know, I guess it's like Mad Max Mardi Gras, but Groundhog's Day? <laughs> yeah, I think, the, I think the reason it probably worked is because the fact that you knew that no matter who you killed the next day they'd just be alive again so you could almost like forgive yourself for ripping that guy's head off and throwing it off the side of a cliff because you're like eh, yeah he'll be back tomorrow he's all right it's a bunch of insane assholes stuck on an island like you don't feel yeah. bad about killing any of them they're all terrible people uh yeah. cult included and um it, it works out it's just definitely just a goofy game that sort of revels in the fact that everyone here absolutely deserves what they're getting yeah, and speaking of setting, like this reminded, if I could describe this in any way, I guess, this just reminded me of a 1960s Bond movie, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the vibes I got. Totally. Like, it, it definitely has that sort of 1960s mod scene. Yeah, the Black Reef Island has, you know, the four areas we were talking about before are um, Updom, which is sort of a city center area, sort of Icelandic um, city. I guess. Um, then you have the complex, which is a large sort of laboratory with a lot of machinery and things like that. Then you have uh, Freestad Bay, is it? I'm trying to remember. Freestad Rock? That's what it was. Yeah. Freestad Rock, which is um, sort of a cool sort of a lounge area where you have a, a very fancy 
you know, Rockstar recording studio plus a experimental lab and also the whole island's power plant. And finally, um, Carl's Bay. Uh, Carl's Bay, yes. Which is the art scene. Yeah, yes, that part the, was cool. The art scene of the game and effectively like where all of the bars and, and partying and weird shit was happening, um, which is a pretty nice sort of differentiation. And in each of these areas also varied wildly between the type of day you entered them in. The part that I didn't realize going into, if there's eight targets, generally going in to one of these areas, one of these four areas during the four times a day, you start to realize pretty quickly like, okay, I can be in four places. How do I get all eight people into a place, into those four spaces where I can get them all in one run? And that's where the interest of the game kind of picks up. Or can I set up something where they're killed off screen? Or can I, you know, there's a Mm -hmm. few instances where that that is an option. Um, What I also think is really interesting about this island in each of these four locations is this island, Black Reef Island, has a history. It has lore. You know, there's always going to be lore in these types of games. But this island has a really interesting history because it was sort of initially just a creepy fishing village. Then it was a military outpost. And then um, it is the location of a time-looping death cult. So there's all kinds of weird shit going on here. And, yeah, and um, you can always see like remnants of, of like what was there before, which was kind of cool. It wasn't just like glossed over. Like if you go digging, you can find a bit of the military base or whatever that's left over from, from before, which is kind of cool. Yeah, you're learning more about Operation Horizon, which was the initial sort of um, military expedition to the island. Then Aeon, the basically the corporation formed to do this time loop experiment and bring along all these people into the situation that you find yourself in during the course of the game. Um One other thing that's happening on this island, for Colt in particular, that we haven't talked about yet, is throughout the entire thing, you're seeing these glowing messages that are, I think, Colt's thoughts or memories, writing, appearing all over the game. And sometimes other versions of himself telling him that he's being a dumbass. Yeah. So So you get a lot of time loopy weirdness. Yeah. So you have alternate Colts popping in every once in a while to like, I don't know, uh, reprimand you or tell you, warn you something. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Now, if you're looking for like, I need like solid answers on everything, you're going to be pretty disappointed at the end. Like it's it's a vague, I mean, like with any kind of sci-fi thriller, I don't feel like you ever get like a definitive answer at the end, but you get at least a vague concept of what's going on. And, and the mystery and the unraveling of all that was pretty fun. Yeah, we're working with like a lost level of satisfaction with regards to resolution here. Um, I'd say maybe a little better, a little better than that. (laughs) Yeah, you're you're right. It's probably a little better than that. But um, there is like a setup for a a sequel too. So, you know, we may yet surpass the lost level of of satisfaction uh, even further. As I said up top, the core thing is to find these eight visionaries. Uh, we've already named two of them. Colt Vaughn, you yourself. Juliana Blake, who is uh, the person hunting you. And there's six others who we, we can go through uh, real briefly. Um, but they are all sort of hiding out in different locations on this island at different times of day. And the basic structure of this game is you start off at loop. You choose a location. You choose your loadout. And you try and accomplish either killing one of these people or finding some information that will allow you to do more, do that more efficiently. 
Yeah, I think generally the first thing you do in the game, and unless you take it at your own pace more or less once you get through that first area, is like you want to go and individually take out every last one of these targets. Now, granted, the first time you do it, you're going to do it, I'm not going to say the wrong way, but you're, there's no way that doing it that way you'd get to all eight in a single day. So you go take them out the first time, you find, you work on like, the most efficient way of getting them and then you find information about how to maybe double them up like I wonder if I could get these two people in the same area so I could take two out at once and kind of like be effective that way and it's all like a mystery of trying to figure out how do I do the most with as little time because you really don't have a whole lot of extra time to get it done yeah it's it's almost guaranteed that as long as you're pursuing finding one of the um the visionaries and killing them you're going to get more information right like the first time you find ramblin frank spicer the host of black reef's radio show and former rock star who's a complete burnout and just loves cults for some reason um he uh he reveals that he has a thing for fireworks so maybe that's your your clue on how he might be taken out or something like that um you know you always sort of get a little piece of the puzzle um every time you're you know, even if you're just trying to go and murder someone in cold blood, when really that's not what the perfect loop is going to have you do. Yeah, this is almost playing out. Again, we talked about how it kind of like equated to like a roguelike before. So now this is almost the part of the game that equates a little bit to like a hitman kind of thing, which yeah. I would say is kind of a roguelike. But as Josh has mentioned before, <laughs> he doesn't agree with me. <laughs> but, but but anyway, yes. So it's like in every hitman game you go in and you kill your target you do it messily and whatever and as you go through you find better and cooler ways to do it and that's like the biggest loop for the beginning part of the game i think it's just trying to figure out the best and coolest way to take out individual targets and then you have to figure out how to multiple them up and get multiples at the same time and then be super efficient then you got to almost like have that puzzle piece like i got to do this in the morning i got to do this at noon this in the afternoon and this at night and that's the only way we can make it work yeah and that's when you have the the key to success i guess yeah, and the game um, sort of lays out sort of a, a to-do list for you. Like, right, it's going to lay out each of the remaining visionaries. You know, we talked about Frank Spicer, but there's, you know, still five others. There's Igor, the scientist, Charlie, sort of the chief administrator slash uh, game designer guy who's big into LARPing. There's Fia, the artist. There's Alexis, the huge, like, chief financial douchebag. Um, Harriet, who is like a cult leader, and then finally Wenji, the scientist, and all nerd. of them, yeah, all yeah, the nerd, and all of them sort of have their own uh, tragic backstories. Honestly, all of them are kind of awful people. Some of them you just feel sad for. Like most of them are not particularly competent. You get the feeling, but you know, it's it's interesting. Like this is a an island full of assholes, and these are like the assholes in chief. Yeah, and I gotta say, like. They, they, the game made it interesting to learn more about the characters too. Like they were at least interesting. Again, they're not just targets. They were worth learning about. And then as you learn about them, you figure out what makes them tick, and then you figure out how to use that against them. So it, it was, it was a lot of fun. Right. I feel like the first two thirds of the game was just learning about them and learning how to kill them best. And then that last third was figuring out how to put all the pieces together. But the funnest part, again, is. You're, you know, crazy mad scientist. You figured out the perfect order to do everything in. And if you just do this at this time and you have the whole thing worked out and then Juliana shows up and screws it all up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's totally true. Like, 
you know, there's a lot of things that will throw a wrench in sort of your game plan. You know, eventually you'll you'll get to the point where you're like, all right, well, I got to figure out how to kill Wenji. Let's go do that. And then you show up and there are like a dozen Wenjis. And you're like, all right. So she figured out how to do the time loop, create multiples of yourself thing. Um, and you got to figure now out what? how to counteract that. Yeah. It's yeah. just, it's really interesting. Um, you know, Alexis, the, the tech bro douchebag is throwing a gigantic party. How can you use that to your advantage? Or how is that going to complicate things? There's just a lot going on on this island at any given time. And figuring out how it all fits together is, is very fun. Although... I think there was a bit of expectation versus reality for that with me. Like I thought that it's extremely directed, as we said before, and Mm -hmm. myself and a lot of players thought it might not be right. Like I thought there might be a little bit more of Obra Dinn here. There's really much more Hitman. Yeah. And I think you were on the same point that I was. I thought that I would be able to come up with my own way of getting all eight of them in, in four time periods, but really there's really only one really true right way to do it. Yeah, and and I think like that expectation setting, like is that on the players or on the devs? Is it on the marketing people? Maybe it's more on, you know, the the marketing side, you know, the developer side in this particular instance, but the question that I keep asking myself is, did it provide a fun ride? Yes. Did it provide the illusion that I was going to be in that control up to a point? Yes. Am I a bit salty that it wasn't? Also, yes. But was it still fun? Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I got I had the same expectation, but I got to remind myself that I wasn't told that that was going to be the case. I didn't read anything about this game coming up to it because I wanted to go in fresh because it seemed like a mystery based game to me anyway. So I think I did that to myself. Honestly, mm-hmm. I can't. The amount if they'd have left it as open ended where we could almost write it the way we wanted to, it wouldn't have been as deep as it was. So I'm happy with the way it turned out. I'm with you. Like, th- there's only so much um, self-authorship for how a certain thing could go when you have this many variables in play in this many locations. I think it kind of it kind of had to be a puzzle that you solve in a, a bit more linear way, especially if we wanted to make it like even mildly accessible to the vast majority of people that were going to play it. So, all in all, I think they made the right decisions. After seeing how games like Oberdin handled this, or seeing how like maybe hitman handled things with like multiple answers to the same question of how do i kill this person it might be a little like shortcoming there but all in all like this game isn't striving for the same thing that hitman or Oberdin are so i'm not really too worried about that and hitman doesn't have a a deep narrative that's riding through all the stuff and that's how right. they get around some of that stuff but yeah in a bespoke story driven game i just don't know how they could have done it any different so i think that was a my bad on my part but how it played out like you said it was fun i'm i don't think i would change it yeah i agree it's an it's an interesting game and i think the the, the main thing that's going to like that people are going to hold against it is that it it wasn't that open-ended you know, Hitman. There's really only one answer to all of the questions this game asks, and it's kill them all. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's no like creative way to do that uh, it, for most situations. But you know, that's okay. And the game gives you a lot of tools that are really fun to do that killing. And the cool thing is that the story that happens along the way. Again, the actual killing them all part, super quick. You could do the whole thing in 15 minutes or less. Like. It's the whole discovery up to that point, learning, finding the best way that you like to do things. That's the fun part. The, the, the act of finishing it is just like the checkbox at the end. 
Yeah, agreed. Now that we have used uh, this Groundhog Day style loop to take all the time in the world and uh, concoct our thoughts, let's uh, put them out into the world in the form of a three-word review. So my three-word review was mastery through repetition. So Deathloop is a game more about acquiring knowledge than anything else. And once you know what you're doing, you can probably be beat the whole thing in less than 10 minutes. But it takes hours of learning and planning and putting all the pieces together to get to that point. So its run-based structure might make it sound like a roguelike, which is generally something I don't vibe with, but by adding in the opportunity to bypass some of the more annoying aspects of that genre for me, it elevates the experience and becomes something entirely different. By getting you directly back into the action and not punishing you for failure, the formula continues to feel fresh and invigorating and truly fosters exploration and experimentation, which stands in stark contrast to the shy and timid approach I generally take because I'm afraid of resetting and doing that whole thing all over again. So here the reset is your power, it's not your weakness, and just when you think you figured it all out, the game is that awesome PvP mechanic with Juliana to like turn things on its head. It's just so you never feel overpowered, which I thought was great. It has a lot of good checks and balances. So describing Deathloop as really hard because it's almost like several other things but there's really no other thing quite like it and in a landscape of cut and paste annual games Deathloop stands apart as something wholly unique and I definitely think it's worth checking out. Hard agree. Um, <clears throat> if there's one thing you can count on Arcane for it's that they're gonna find something unique uh, in, in whatever game they put out. Uh, for me my three-word review was save scumming defeated. I'm a big Arcane fan and I love the Dishonored games in Prey, but some of my least favorite aspects of these games are that they made me feel the need to save scum. Deathloop simply had no option to do this. Literally, there's no quick save in this game. And what a difference that made for me. I always had to deal with the consequences of any action I took within a given run. No quick saves, no checkpoints, no do-overs, at least within the current loop. Deathloop tells a fascinating story about how people are corrupted when the consequences for their actions are removed, but to me the most interesting thing about this game is that it actually makes me deal with the consequences of my actions during any <laughs> given loop. Um, and the addition of the invasion mechanic, is, as you mentioned, Clint, and four huge areas to explore, I think Deathloop not only defeated safe scumming, but carved itself a unique and more action-oriented place in the arcane pantheon. Big thumbs up from me as well. Nice. Yeah, so with that... We want to say thanks for listening, and if you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to share it with folks you think might enjoy it as well. And if you want to get in touch, drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at pixelplaypod. And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skirsha. And I'm Clint Jones. Take care, and keep on looping. That's one thing we totally didn't talk about in our discussion um, <clears throat> is that the whole like like theme of this game for me was about like 
people who had no consequences for the actions that they were taking at any given time because they knew they were going to loop and restart the next day. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, that's they were terrible people and they were doing terrible things. And that's why you didn't feel bad about mercilessly murdering them every day again and again and again. Right, yeah. It was one of those games that like very easily sidestepped like the the moral quandary of like, oh, I want to be the stealth guy so I don't have to kill this person. Um, nope. <laughs> no, this person, one, is an asshole because they you know, are acting in a completely hedonic fashion because they have no consequences for their action. But also, it doesn't matter. They're coming back anyway. <laughs> Especially Alexis. I'd fucking kill that guy as many ways as possible. Th- he was a huge douche. <laughs> I throw him in the meat grinder every freaking day. It's a, the game does give you a lot of insight into the character, you know, each of those visionaries' actual thoughts, right? Because you get to snoop on all of their, like, correspondences with each other and, you know, how they talk when they're not expecting to be observed. Uh, like any good immersive sim, you're monitoring correspondences that you're not meant to monitor, which is great. Yeah, I thought that was... The storytelling through that fashion was very, very strong. And again, we could talk about this game for like three hours and I feel like we'd never get to all of it because it was, again, it's just so unique. There's not much out there like it and there's just so much going on. And they did, again, the story, while it wasn't like written out completely linearly, there was like so much to be had and it was all very well put together. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and of course the style, like you don't really see a game that looks like this much either. We already hit it up top, but I also want to add, because I've been playing it throughout the course of this entire podcast, that you don't get a lot of games that sound like this either. You know, the chill, ominous jazz when you're sneaking around and then the rowdy sort of 70s rock music when things start <laughs> to go loud. Yeah. Yeah, the music was good too. So a lot of time loop games going on this year though, right? Like yeah. we, uh, me and Josh just played Outer Wilds. Not a this year game, but still, uh, it's in the water. Um, Loop Hero came out this year. Forgotten City, uh, apparently a very good game. It's on my list of games to play. Um, time looping. It's in the. It's, so it's, hot it's, right it's now. It's hot right now, yeah. The funny thing is, is it makes you wonder. Like, okay, if all these time loop games came out this year, they all started these five years ago. So what was going on five years ago? Because <laughs> you can't just throw out a game like. In a year, so something was going on a while back uh, where time loops was all the hotness. Inception? The 2016 election cycle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>